Good morning. Let's just close our eyes. Holy Spirit, we need you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you love to come and be with your people, with your children. We ask you to fill us afresh. Just ask him to fill you afresh. Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill me. Holy Spirit, we need you to open the word to us. We need you to help us to pray. We need you to help us to worship. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, 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 there is no one better. There's no one higher. There's no one who compares. You are Lord. You are King. You are majestic in your glory. Your name is power. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, I pray that you would turn our attention to the Father. All we need is you. All we need is you. We fill our lives with so much, but the only thing that matters is you. The only thing I long for is closeness with you. You can take the world. I don't want that. Prepare our hearts for glory this morning. You have, we know you've got so much more. We love you. We love you. We love you. My prayer for us this morning is that we would be ready to receive what he has for us. My prayer is that we would have hearts that are soft to be challenged and that we are humble enough to change if we will not shift from our position we will not learn and we will not find what we are needing which is what we're looking for I've been um, reading quite a number of books in the last few um, weeks Um, and they've all come from very different sources Um, many recommendations from different places and then when I've been reading each one of these books they've always ended up telling me the same thing Um, it's actually six books so I I need to take the hint Um, and each book has just shown me the reality of who Jesus is and 
his holiness. When I was preaching a few weeks ago, um, I shared with you just briefly about his defining characteristic is his holiness. And what he is longing for is a holy and righteous people. So much so that he died on the cross to make us holy and righteous. Amen. When I've been reading these books, it is, my attention's been drawn to the fact that I underestimate or I play down his righteousness. God is righteous. That, that means he is right. That means I don't get to argue. And what's incredible is that he has made a way for me to be righteous. My righteousness means I am right in the eyes of God based upon his standards. Not based upon my standards. Because he is the lawgiver. He's the one that gave us the law. He's the one that makes the rules. He's the king. We very easily say and sing Lord, but when we're calling someone Lord, we're putting them in a place of authority over our lives. There's not anyone else really that I would call Lord apart from him. And even those who are called Lords in this country, um, they are Lords because they own some land, not because I would put them in charge of my life. He is the lawgiver. He's the one who gets to decide what being like him looks like. He's the one who gets to say, this is who I am. This is who I want you to be. The object of my life is to become like Jesus. Did you know that's why you're alive? That's it. You can forget everything else. Those of you who've just turned up for university, that's lovely. But your aim in life, your point in life, your achievement, your greatest, your only achievement in life will be to be like Jesus. In Isaiah 33 verse 22, it says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. Hallelujah. There is nothing that we can do that can save us because there's nothing that we can do that can make us righteous. And that means there's nothing we can do that will make us pleasing to God. There's nothing we can do that will make us acceptable to him. He is the lawgiver. He is the one who makes the law. He is the one who will judge us. And he is the one who will save us. We like the end of that sentence. But the reality of the rest of that passage is hard. Because the reality of the rest of that passage says, he's in charge of my life. Psalm 9 verse 8 says, he rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. 
it is because he is righteous that he can judge. No one is going to want to be judged by a sinful person. Because then we can say, well, who are you to say that to me? Who are you to judge me? And in South Africa, there were so often taxis would drive along with stickers on the back saying, only God, only God can judge me. I don't think they really understood what they were saying, which was true. Only God is going to judge you. It's only God that you're going to stand in front of. What they were saying was, you can't judge me. It's only God that can. He, he will judge us because he gave the law and he righteously upholds the law. Because he is holy. The angels, we're told the angels are singing day and night for eternity. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Some people don't like singing the same refrain over and over again. But you better get used to it. Because you're going to be singing it for eternity. We love a creative song, but you know, holy, holy, holy is the best of all. As king, he has the right and authority to judge good and evil. And he will make eternal decisions according to the faithfulness and love that we have shown to him. That's, this is this is big stuff, because this is not a small matter. This is not something we can we can cast off as being unimportant. This is the point of your existence: is that you will be judged for your faithfulness and love that you show to Him here. I've been reading through. Uh, Genesis with Laura and the girls, um, and we've been reading. I've been also reading in One Kings and Two Kings, and the fear of the Lord comes on me because of the sin that we live in, that we live with. When I look through, and you see how God is so gracious, and He loves. His people so kindly and they are foul to him. They don't give him honor. They don't give him glory. And yet you read in Hebrews 11 and it says Abraham was righteous. And you think, well, how on earth did you get to that conclusion? It talks about David and all these mighty men, but they were foul. Uh, Often. And we've got to have an understanding of who God is in his righteousness before we can understand how foul we are. Now, I'm not here to tell you you're foul because it's a reality. Your life without Jesus is foul. It is filthy. The Bible tells us we were born that way. We were born Sinners. And then we've got this gracious and compassionate and patient God who keeps coming back again and saying, come on, 
come with me. Come into what I've got for you. What I have for you is better. He gives clear instructions. He says, don't don't go where everyone else is going. Don't do what everyone else is doing. Listen to the voice. Listen to my voice. Because my voice will bring you into truth and hope and life to the full. And the people of God, as you see it in Genesis, all the way through, you see it in the kings. There's 39 of the kings. There's 39 kings. Eight of them, it says, did right in the eyes of the Lord. Eight kings out of 39. Now these are kings that have been put in place by God to rule his people. Where do we sit before him with our filth? Because I can sit before him and I can, and I can convince myself it's not a big deal. I can convince myself it's not a problem. I can say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I don't have the big problems like those people have. My life's not falling apart like those people's lives. I can, I can convince myself that my, my selfishness, I can convince myself that my filth is okay. That it's, it's, enough, it's not enough to cause me a problem with God. But let us remember that God is righteous and he is holy. He is holy, holy, holy. He is the spirit of holiness. As I've been reading through the kings, I'm reading all, all, these, these, all these men in authority that have led the people astray. And then we get to 2 Kings 17. Let me read you this. It's a fairly long passage, but I want you to listen carefully to what God says to this people. Remember, this, these are his people that he has chosen and he has set apart for himself. He's chosen this people for himself. And he says, the Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. There are many things that I have done in the secret that Jesus was watching. I wouldn't want you to see, but Jesus saw it. And he still calls me friend. Come on, come here, come to me, because that stuff's going to kill you. Did you know that the devil is a liar? He's a fraud and a thief and he wants you dead. He wants you dead and he will do whatever it takes to kill you. Sin, the, 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 the payment for sin is death. We're told that, it's, Jesus is very clear. If you follow sin, you will die for it. 
Whether, you're, whether you die right now for it or whether you die in, eter- for it in eternity, you will die because God is just and must punish sin. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They set up sacred stones and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. At every high place, they burned incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshipped idols, though the Lord had said, you shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers. You see how loving he is. He said in the first place, don't do it. Then when we're doing it, he sends, he sends the prophets to come and say, stop it. Stop this. It's going to lead to your destruction. You're going to die because of this. Turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen. They were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord, their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statutes he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do what they do. They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry hosts and they worshipped Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and they sought omens and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. I don't want to live outside of his presence. And we can read through that story and we can think, oh my goodness. Oh no, you know, that's very angry. I don't think, you know, I don't think we can talk in those terms about God anymore. Because God is love. He is love, that's true. But because he is love, because he is righteous, he has to deal with sin. It has to be dealt with. It cannot be left as it is. He wants us to be in a place of intimacy and closeness with him. If he is perfectly holy, how can that happen if we, do, if, we, if we push him away, if we reject what he said is okay and is good? How can that happen? How can we have that intimacy with him? You were born to have intimacy with him and every single one of us has, is spending our life searching for what is the thing that's going to make me feel whole that's going to make me feel okay and every single one of us has tried multiple different things to get to that place and not a single one of them has ever made us feel okay because it's Jesus 
That is the thing that we were created to have. Without having him, without being intimate with him, we will always be searching. We will always be looking for something else. And it will never, ever satisfy. We have to take the warning from this people of Israel. These people have been in the very presence of God. These people have seen the mighty, magnificent works of God. They've watched time and time again him provide for them in miraculous ways. And yet, when the neighbours are worshipping poles, when the neighbours are having sex with whoever they like on mountaintops, they look across the shoulder and think, that looks nice. And when... When they've got the opportunity to give themselves to God, they keep holding on to their neighbor's things. There were eight kings out of 39 that God said this. This is an example in 2 Kings 15 verse 3. Azariah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He did right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, however, he did not remove. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. And I've been reading this through. And it happens again and again and again. That these kings either completely reject God. Or it says they do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. But they leave that there. They leave Baal and Asherah there. What happens next is the people turn. They keep turning back because it's there. I can see it. I can smell it. I can hear what they're doing up there. It's enticing me. Baal was the god of rain. The God of rain, the God of wind, the God of fertility. And Asherah was the God of motherhood. And what uh, the Canaanites and these people believed was that the two of them had to have sex in order to make rain, to end the dry season. And so what the people did in their worship was that they went and they had sex in the high places in order to encourage Baal and Asherah to do the same so that the wind and the rain would come. And if you've read in 1 Kings, you see Elijah um, having his fight with the prophets of Baal on, on the mountaintop. So he's up on the high place and he encourages them, come on then, call down Baal, let's, let's, let's get this party going. Uh, and they're not able to um, because... Um, it doesn't exist. It's not real. It's, it's demonic. And Elijah calls down fire from heaven. And then he speaks to God and the rain comes. I'd never really put the two together. But Baal was the God of rain. And as Elijah prayed to God, he had stopped the rain in order to show the powerlessness of the idol of Baal. We have a society 
that is worshipping Baal and Asherah. It may not look the same, but it's, it's the same. It's been the same. It was the same in the, in, in the New Testament times. People worshipping the, uh, the God of sex, the God of free choice, um, doing what makes us feel happy. I want to read uh, Romans chapter 1, starting from verse 18 uh, through to 28. Because what I was found fascinating as I was reading this is that actually 2 Kings 17 is almost an identical picture to, one, uh, to Romans chapter 1 here. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. There's no excuse. You can't say, I don't know, I don't know about him. You just need to look out the window because there is the glory of God. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor, they get, nor did they give thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations, sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they knew, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. All of those all of those things that we hear about in those passages, all the things that the people have been doing or have done, they've been doing in order to fill that hole. They've been doing because they need, they need to be loved. They need to feel loved. They need to feel accepted. They need to feel wanted. I need that. And I, I, I run through my life 
trying to find some someone or something that will make me feel special, that will make me feel like, actually, I'm, it's, it's, I'm glad I'm alive. But we don't find it. Why are suicide rates through the roof across the Western world? Because we're not finding it. We're not finding it. We're f- trying through sex. We're trying through sex with anyone that we can work out. Anyone will have it. And it, and it doesn't help. There's no, that you can have sex with whoever you want. It's not going to change that longing in your heart. Because that longing was put there so that you would be in a marriage relationship with the bridegroom who is Jesus. That's who you're supposed to be longing for. That's what you were created to long for. That's what you were created to run after. But instead, we, instead we tolerate the things around us. We tolerate those high places in our lives. I started at the beginning with two kings and it said the Israelites secretly did things against the Lord. I think those are the high places. They're the things that we just leave. He did not remove the high places. We just leave them there. And we turn back to them when we're feeling weak, when we're feeling low, when things are tough, when I'm down. I I just run there. Because it quickly, if I have a quick sexual encounter, it, it makes me feel nice for a moment. And so I don't cut it off. I need to understand that sin is abhorrent to God. Because he is perfect in his holiness. The Bible talks about fearing the Lord. It says, fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We're not talking, it's not talking about being afraid of him, though clearly he has the power that could make us afraid. But when I've been, when I, when I've got, been brought into a relationship with a loving father, I'm not afraid in that sense. Although there are times with my girls that they might, hopefully they're not afraid of me, but hopefully they're in awe of me when they've stepped out of line and I've needed to correct or discipline or shape. The fear of the Lord, in Proverbs 8, 13, it says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Psalm 11, verse 4 says, he observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot, for the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. Is this uncomfortable reading? I have come to the place in recent weeks where I have realized that I did not hate sin. I didn't hate it enough to get rid of it. Because I hadn't realized what it does to my relationship with him. I hadn't 
I had known, I'd seen what it does to other relationships, I'd seen what it does to me. I hadn't acknowledged, I hadn't allowed myself to see that my sin affects him and that he detests it, he despises it. And I don't want to do anything that makes my God despise me. And so when I turned my attention to the Holy Spirit, and I said, Holy Spirit, I want to hate sin the way you hate it. Would you show me? Would you show me how disgusting it is to you? And I turned and I looked at my life and I was able to look at the things that I've allowed to stay in my life and I began to hate it. I walked up and down in my house and I said, I hate this sin. I hate this sin. I don't want it anywhere near my life. I don't want it anywhere near my relationship with God. I don't want it anywhere near my family. I hate it. And I want to hate it with every fibre of my being. Because it's destroying me. But most of all it's destroying my relationship with my father, my friend, with the spirit of holiness. God cannot leave the guilty unpunished. And that reality has sat with me as I sit with my sin. It, I, I, can, I can convince myself that my sin is not a problem. I can find a theologian somewhere that will agree with me that my sin is not a problem. I can tell you that It's just the way I am. There's nothing I can do about it. But that doesn't change the fact that God sees it as abhorrent, as filth. I I don't want to spend my life making excuses for why I couldn't give him my all. I don't want to make excuses for why I chose to live the life I wanted to live, not the life he told me was going to give me freedom and life to the full. I want his life. We're standing here, we're singing, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. That means every single thing in your life. All Jesus wants from you is everything. There is nothing in your life that you can keep for yourself if you want to have him in his beautiful holy fullness. Only by surrendering our hearts to him do we have a chance of pleasing him on that final day when we will stand before him. We will stand before him and we will give an account of what we have been doing here. And everything that was done in the secret place will be seen Everything that nobody else knows about will be 
obvious. The good part is that God's already sorted it out. He's already made a way for us to live in the place of holiness, to live in the place of fullness. Jude chapter 1 verse 24, it says, Unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Hallelujah. We've got, if we don't sit with the weight of our sin, if we don't sit with the understanding of what our sin does, we will never fully appreciate, we will never fully therefore get to know the fullness of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I have, I won't think I need Him if I don't think what I'm doing is a problem. It is a problem. It's an eternal problem that, that has, that will see you separated from him. But he is able to keep you from falling and he will present you before his glorious presence. Isn't that wonderful? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I get to become the righteousness of God, not because of what I have done, not because of I, because I've managed to get rid of all of my sin, but because I've surrendered it all before Him and He has taken it. He has paid it. The punishment for my sin is death. But I will not be punished for my sin when I bow the knee before him, when I give myself in surrender to him, because he went to the cross for me. My sin is credited to Jesus. Right? It becomes legally his. He didn't do it. I did it. But legally, in God's eyes, it becomes his. And then legally, in God's eyes, I become the righteousness of God. In what way do I deserve that? And yet, he gives it to you. And all he asks for is your whole life. Just give me your whole life and you'll get what you've always been wanting. You don't need those sexual relationships. You don't need all that money. You don't need all that power. Come to me and you'll get what you've always been searching for. I'm not going to stand here and say, come to Jesus and your life will all be great. Because Jesus never said that. Jesus said, come to me and you'll be persecuted and the world will hate you. That's what I offer. Because I would rather be hated for, let's say, 80 years. I don't know, Jesus. I'd go earlier if you want. I'd rather be hated for 80 years and have an eternity with him than be loved by the world and have a, have a time doing what the world does 
and have eternal punishment. It is real, guys. It is real that there is a decision that has to be made. The world, the devil wants to water it down. He wants to say, no, I don't exist. No, there's not really a choice you have to make. All roads lead to heaven. It's not true. It is a lie because the devil is a liar. Do not listen to what they say in the world. Do not listen to what your magazines or the internet says. The word of God is living and it's alive. And if it's not in here, then it's not true. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. You know that story? Man's walking through a field. <gasps> oh my goodness. He's, he's found something that he's never, it's more beautiful than anything he's ever seen before. What does he do? Covers it over, goes and sells everything he has. Sells his house. Sells his clothes on his back. He just wants to, he just knows I've got to have that field because having that is better than what I've got over here. That's the kingdom. Because when you see it, when you see what Jesus is offering, when you see what Jesus has got for you, when you see what he's taking away and giving you in exchange, you get rid of everything for him. There is no sin. There's no sexual relationship. There's no bottle of drink. There's no drug. There's no gossip that is going to make you think, hmm, do I want Jesus? There isn't. If you actually have met him. And we can't really fully get to know him while the high places are still there. When those secret things are still there, we've got to cull. We've got to cut it out. Jesus said, it would be better for you to go through the pain of gouging out your eye in order to, in order to, remove, if you're, to remove sin than it would be to leave it there and not have the kingdom. Can you see how violently Jesus speaks about sin? Cut off your own hand would be better than staying with your sin. The world's pleasure is nothing in the light of Christ's kingdom. Hallelujah. He is worth all that you are, all that you have, all that you can be. He's worth your career. He's worth all your cash. He's worth your home. He's worth your relationships. Some of you here are in relationships you shouldn't be in. Do you live in the secret place of closeness with Jesus? Or is your place full of secrets? I want to wake up every morning overwhelmed with pleasure that I've woken up with him. Oh, good morning. I want the first thing that that I long for, not to be coffee, but his presence. Are you, are you in a place where he's everything? Are you ready 
to stand before him? Will you allow Christ to rule your heart and your life? Jesus is calling all of us, he's calling us this morning to remove the high places and to come into the secret place with him. He's calling, he's saying, cut off that hand. Cut off that, gouge out that eye because it will not give you what you're longing for it to give you. Ali, could you come up? Let's just um, respond to him. I know what I've been saying can seem harsh, but it's not harsh when faced with the harshness of the glory and the beauty of God. Can I just ask you to close your eyes? Psalm 86 verse 11 says, Teach me your way, that I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Let's pray that. Jesus, teach me your ways. Jesus, we want to walk in your truth. Not my truth. Not the world's truth. Not the internet's truth. I want to walk in your truth. So, we turn our hearts towards you. In your beauty. In your holiness. Holy Spirit, would you unite our hearts to fear your name? Holy Spirit, things in your life there are secret things there are high places just step out of your chair just into the aisle or down to the front just to just to 
putting yourself forward saying actually Jesus I want something more if you want to be free if you want to be holy if you want to know him then step into the step out like you're physically stepping out and saying I don't want that anymore I don't want that anymore I've had enough it's not done it I want you Lift your hands before him. dragged you by your beard and they slapped you across the face they ripped off your clothes and they whipped your back until the skin was removed they beat you around the face until your eyes were swollen of lies about you you did not defend yourself with no skin on your back you had to drag a tree up a hill knowing that you were heading to the place of death and as they mocked and as they jeered they rammed nails through your hands they could have used rope and they rammed nails through your feet and they dropped that tree into a hole thorns and they pushed it into your head until it bled and you did all that for me you did that for me you didn't have to what had I ever done for you 
And you on that cross, you cried out, forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus, we don't know what we're doing. We're playing the wrong game. We just want you, Jesus. We just want you. You went into the pit of hell so that I wouldn't have to. And what I give you in return is I'm going to give you my love. I'm going to give you my love. I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to give you my adoration. I'm going to lift you up with every with every ounce of energy and being that I might have. I'm going to give you all the glory. Can we stand before him? Just stand up and lift up your hands before him. He is worthy of your honor. He is worthy of your time. He is worthy of your love. Just begin to tell him how much you love him. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you for all you have given. Thank you for suffering and dying that I would not need to. Thank you for being so gracious and compassionate in my sin. Jesus, we stand before you. you don't know Jesus at all, you've come here today maybe with a friend or maybe you've been hanging around just trying to work out who this Jesus is, Jesus is saying to you, come to me and I'll give you rest, come to me and I'll show you what life really looks like. 
This is where you're meant to be. This is what I created you for. Come to me. If you have never, if you've never said, okay, Jesus, it's you. Jesus, I can't do this on my own. If you've never said, I need your help. If you've never said, I'll give up everything for him. Then maybe today's the day when you decide to stop trying on your own and to let him be Lord, to let him be the king, to let him be saviour. If that's you, then I want to encourage you just to come down to the front here. If you want him, if you realise that your sin is too great, come down to the front. can't fix it on your own you have to have a saviour it's him that saves us it's him that makes us holy Jesus thank you Jesus someone then please just come down the front and we will do that